Welcome back to the program. Every day we hear and read more about how life is changing. Probably while we were sleeping last night, someone came up with a new app that will alter the way we work or play or interact with each other. It's not surprising then that all of this has profoundly impacted the careers we choose, the work we do, and what that work might look like in 5, 10, or 15 years. So where to begin if you are a young person starting out or making a mid-career change? Where is that roadmap for that unknown future? Well, Roadmap is the latest book by Road Trip Nation based on the wisdom and ideas of more than 300 leaders. It's a comprehensive guide to help readers realize their full potential. And joining me to talk about it today, I'm joined by Nathan Gebhardt. He is one of the founders of Road Trip Nation, and it is my pleasure to welcome Nathan Gebhardt here to talk about Roadmap, the get-it-together guide for figuring out what to do with your life. Nathan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Great to have you here. I want to talk first, before we talk about Roadmap and careers, a little bit about Road Trip Nation, about uh, how you guys started this whole thing, and about the PBS series that's been running for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think its, it, its origins were very humble and uh, very much centered around this realization that the life myself and the other founders were leading was kind of a script that wasn't our own. And so we thought, like, how better to answer that question, what am I going to do with my life, than to travel a country and talk to people about how they had figured it out. And so a three-month road trip where we interviewed anybody from Michael Dell to the director of Saturday Night Live to Howard Schultz and designers at Burton Snowboards, all of that kind of culminated into this collection of stories um, that we continually do road trip after road trip every year. Um, and, and it's evolved. You know, it started with our own road trip, and now we're in pre-production of season 13 of our PBS show, um, a few books and live events. But it's all kind of centered around how did people define their own roads in life? How did they block that noise? How did they shed the doubt? And how did they kind of look at their own definition of success? When you get these people to tell their stories, how do you separate the authenticity of their individual experience from what in many cases for many of them because of their success has become a kind of foundational story a foundational mythology which doesn't always match up with the authentic reality that they've gone through yeah i mean i think that's a really interesting piece so the the foundation of every story of road trip nation is not just uh, a bunch of people professional interviewers you know every year we're taking young people, typically college students or a little bit older, um, and thrusting them into these interviews. And for the most part, they're doing the cold calls and they're booking the interviews. So they're really interested in talking to these individuals, and they're the ones coming up with the questions. You know, we've kind of created the, the framework, the broad swim lane, which is how did this person define their own road in life. But I, I think at the heart of it is we really initiate vulnerability. And I think that's a really important piece. And when we interviewed Howard Schultz, the uh, uh, CEO of Starbucks, he had just come from like an, an, an MSNBC, like some ABC crazy like uh, interview where he was delivering their annual uh, uh, report um, or quarterly returns, I think mm -hmm. it was. And so he was suit and tie guy, and he was really kind of in that like news mindset. But the second we kind of started talking about our own doubts and our own fears, like it, it instantly kind of connected with him. And so you find these moments where all of a sudden, like you're hearing about how he grew up in uh, federally subsidized pro uh, housing projects, how he, uh, his father never had health care, his father never made more than $20,000 a year, he was the first in his family to go to college. 
and he even got to the place of donating blood so that he could eat in college. And that's not, that's not the story that you hear, but when you kind of approach it with vulnerability, I think the kind of veneer of the like, oh, it all happened and uh, you know, I was just lucky, that kind of fades away to actually really understanding how somebody put a life together. What impact, as you've been doing this for a number of years, what impact have these stories had on you guys, the three of you that were the founders of this, and that really have been up close and personal and really getting to see and understand these experiences? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting question. I would say our impact is very similar to many of the uh, the road trippers that, that we share this experience with. Um, you know, for me, I think I could compare it very similar um, to a lot of different individuals, but uh, one story that comes to mind is a woman named Jackie Gamboa, who we had on the road, and she really came from a very different background than myself. She was grow she grew up in Chihuahua, Mexico, a very drug torn town. Um, she was the first in her family to ever be educated in in America. Um, but what she she lacked, she had she knew she had an interest in science, and for myself, I knew I had an interest in art. But what both her and I lacked was this sense of confidence. And when I told my parents I wanted to be an artist, um, they were really, uh, they responded very appropriately because I'm a really actually bad painter, um, which was, you're going to be poor and homeless and live under the boardwalk. And, and that was true, but the failure on my part was I couldn't articulate this interest of art in any other fashion as I want to be a painter. And I think this idea of traveling the country and seeing, you know, on any given summer, this last summer we did like 80 interviews in two and a half months, um, what you see is people making livelihoods that are completely different and completely centered around their own interests. And that was an exposure that myself or any of the other founders really had when we were kind of growing up. In many ways, there's a strong generational component in all of this, that if you look Mm -hmm. at baby boomers and and even parents of baby boomers, the idea of being that focused on what it is that brings you individual and personal satisfaction was not always part of or seldom part of of the career track. No, I mean, I think you're right. I think we're certainly in a time in in the world um, where opportunity is, is really out there for the taking. I think what we see is, I think if I was to kind of zoom in on one of the the most distinguishing factors that kind of spans, I would say really across any generation that we've interviewed. I mean, we've we've sat down with people that are in their 80s and probably 90s all the way to you know some very young individuals in their 20s. Um, but I think what we've seen across the board, regardless of whether it was you know, the economic times or the times of war or peace, was that the people who really found their place, they did it by pursuing what interested them, not kind of chasing after this idea of an occupation. You know, I'm going to be a, law, a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer. It was, I am interested in rock climbing. And how does rock climbing manifest into all these different occupations around it? Talk a little bit about the different processes that people have gone through in some of these interviews that you've done in terms of people figuring out what their interests are? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's, it's really exciting because I think when we were putting the book together, we really had to look at, like, how do we create a framework that anybody can pick up and, and use on their own? 
that doesn't become the noise, that doesn't say, here's a five-step program, and if you fall into these boxes, you'll be successful. And that started with literally being on one interview where somebody said the, the most important thing is to focus. And then the next interview, like 100 miles further down the road, said the most important thing is to be as broad as you can. Don't get stuck. Don't focus, but be broad. And so the truth of the matter is I think everybody approached this kind of self-construction um, in a different way. But I would say a couple really important themes um, are the ability to shed the noise. You know, the noise is kind of what we refer to as um, that outside, like, you should do's uh, that doesn't take into account your own individuality. Um, what we really see is people shedding the noise of you should be a doctor, you should be a lawyer, you're not smart enough to be a doctor, the only respectable career that uh, you should follow is to be a doctor. When they really can kind of strip down... Um, their interests into really what makes them tick. You know, what are those things that, like, as a child you lost track of time in? What is, what are the ways in which you spend your free time? And then kind of build up from that. I think that the ability to shed the noise was one. I think another one that I would really um, want to point out is this ability that I alluded to earlier, which is to define success on your own terms. You know, somehow we've gotten to this place where we think there's this universal universal definition of success, and we all want to aspire to that house and those 2.5 kids and that big uh, Ford or Escalade or some type of big vehicle with shiny <laughs> rims. You know, this, the the idea that it's universal, I think, is the first like fundamental flaw that we we have when we define our own roads in life. Um, it what it's what forces us to or it's the mistake we make that then we end up chasing somebody else's definition. And so the people that we've seen, I think a common thread has been that people have really had that desire and that confidence to say, I'm going to define what matters to me on my own terms. There's also an element of bravery involved, as you talk about in the first part of the book, that, that first you have to let go of what all of those preconceptions are that have often been inculcated in you since, uh, since childhood. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we kind of talked to this idea. Um, there's this beautiful book that um, I always love referencing, which is Orbiting the Giant Hairball. And there's this really um, kind of beautiful story um, in in the back of this book where it's kind of God talking to this baby who's about to be born. And he hands him a blank canvas and says, okay, now go out and create your masterpiece. But as that baby's born, uh, society kind of pulls that, mas that blank canvas away and says, oh, you're not ready for that. Like, let us, like, hold this for a while. And when that child, you know, is 18 or 16 or whatever and gets that canvas back, it's a paint-by-numbers approach to life. And I think that that bravery is so important because if we don't really strip away this noise, if we don't really think about who we are, you know, this idea that we should be building a life, not a resume, is so important. And so that idea of kind of you need to let go before you can define who you are. And the book is really broken up into this kind of uh, framework of let go uh, of that noise, define your interests and who, who you are and what matters to you and your subjective truth, and then become that thing. Um, you know, those are, those are really important pieces. But you're right, it starts with that uh, bravery of really just thinking about who you are and what matters to you. Talk a little bit about defining this and particularly the nexus between how you define it and what your skills and talents are 
and being realistic in assessing those? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a really exciting piece. I think, um, you know, we do probably uh, this year, I think we'll do about an 80 to 100 events at campuses across the country, whether high school, middle school, or college. And I think if you talk to students, if you talk to uh, my cousins, um, when somebody says, you know, what do you want to be, what are you interested in, like so many people say sports. Like, and, and what they mean by sports is professional athletes. And I think the piece of skills is really important. You know, for me, like I had said, I was interested in um, I was interested in art, but I had no skill in painting, even though that was the only way I could kind of put it together. Um, we interviewed Tinker Hatfield, who was this uh, amazing, amazing man at Nike. He's the vice president of uh, innovation and design over there, and he really thought sports was his thing. He was a actually quite a successful athlete until he got injured. And that injury forced him to kind of rethink who he was. And so his his ultimate approach to this and, and what is at the foundation of the define element of the book is defining your interest and mashing them together. And so what he really found this love of after he knew he wasn't going to be an athlete was sports and design. And he really thought about how he could kind of put these two together. And he went on a circuitous route to get there, but now obviously is kind of it found him place himself in a place of really, I, I think, this beautiful, quiet confidence. Um, Walter Murch, this guy we interviewed, he's a mm-hmm. film editor and uh, sound editor, and he talked about kind of this approach to define, which is that if you imagine it as a, as a stool, and there's three legs to that stool, you've got hard work, you've got luck, and you've got talent. So that any one of the three of those legs will get you in the door. But as quickly as you can, you have to get another leg down because one of them alone won't won't allow you to stay there. You can't always be lucky and be successful in a career, and you can't be overly talented but unwilling to work hard to succeed. And so he really kind of looked at this approach as like get one leg down and then kind of pivot. And we really think that it, it starts with understanding those interests and then how your skill sets align to those. Talk a little bit about some of the people that you talked to, and, and were there any that were really unwilling or really couldn't access the kind of answers that you wanted? That's an interesting question. Um, I, can't, I can't say that, that people are unwilling. I think, you know, what it does is it takes, um, it takes some wandering. I would say probably most of our interviews average an hour and a half, and sometimes in the upwards of, you know, two and a half hours was an interview I did with um, the first photographer for Rolling Stone magazine. But one story that comes into mind is this amazing woman named Jo Followay. She was a writer for 16 Under, and she was a writer, director, and creator of uh, the new series Transparent. And when we were talking to her at the time, she was a writer at 16 Under at the time we interviewed her, and we really had to kind of wander and understand, like, how did she figure out like this thing, this writing thing, this television thing. And the thing that I loved about her story was like you could kind of see in this realization in the moment of these questions where she was looking for what it was that we were getting at. And she kind of zoomed in on this one moment, this one conversation she had with a friend. And her friend was just like, just strip away everything and what do you care about? And her response I loved. And she said, the only thing I could come up with was the Brady Bunch. And um, But then she goes on this amazing story of how 
committing to the thing that she cared about, the Brady Bunch, led her to, on her free time, writing a play that was basically uh, a redo of the episode of where Marsha gets hit on the nose with a football, but on stage, on a play, because she thought it would be fun to see her friends kind of act this out. But enough people saw that and realized her talents, and then that led her to this path. And so I think one of those kind of most difficult places is diving into somebody's story and really understanding, like, what were those things that they just found themselves lost in, uh, in just a moment of joy. And I think sometimes they're as simple as loving the Brady Bunch. The other part of it, it, it's something I touched on in the introduction, the changing nature of the work landscape, that the jobs that might have existed five years ago may not exist tomorrow, and some entirely new things may come along to replace them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like the most exciting thing about the world in which we live in and the most um, challenging thing about the majority of the resources that are out there right now. I think the vast majority of the resources speak in this language of occupation. Um, but, but we as young people speak in the language of interests. I don't think I want to be a uh, creative director. I think I'm really interested in design. I'm really interested in being creative. Um, and so what we really see is this uh, kind of consistency across everybody that we've interviewed, going back to this idea that they've chosen to pursue an interest, and that gives you an absurd amount of flexibility, an exciting amount of flexibility, as opposed to pursuing an occupation. You know, when I was in school, like, there was barely, uh, to date myself, the Internet was just really kind of getting going Video wasn't even on the internet. So, like, every career that you can imagine around, like, high-definition video on the internet did not exist. Like, every single employee at Netflix wasn't there. And so the idea that I could kind of pick an occupation and then four or six years later just become that thing is, is really outdated today. You know, it's, not, it's no longer the, like, get a job, you know, 40 years later, retire with a golden watch and a pension. But the exciting piece about that is that you have all of this ability to be flexible and dynamic and really follow both your interests and your skills. And so the approach of kind of pursuing this interest, you know, I think Jimmy Chin is a really good example of that. He's a National Geographic photographer and leads these amazing expeditions. Um, but he chose to pursue this interest of rock climbing. And while climbing, he found a camera, and a camera led to photography, which led to being a, one of the most successful photographers in his space. And then those pictures were all done on really extreme expeditions, whether it's Everest or El Cap. And that led to him becoming a like leader of these very extreme expeditions. And all of that kind of happened as, as, as this approach he took, which was defining his interests and seeing where his skills could fall into play, as opposed to saying, you know what, I'm going to be a world explorer uh, photographer, and I'll just kind of reverse engineer how to get into that occupation. Part of what's different in all of this also is is where people go to for advice, and I'm sure that's something you guys thought about in putting the book Roadmap together and in this whole project, the idea that the traditional approaches, the traditional counselors or career guides are all the things that have been the staples along the way are no longer applicable to the kind of world we've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think we do find, you know, there's, it's not to say that everything doesn't work, but there's definitely a lot that's outdated. I mean, 
I think if you just look at like the probably one of the books that most people get upon graduation is <laughs> Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go. And if that isn't a uh, telltale that there is a void in terms of uh, the resources available to graduating college students or anybody <laughs> at a kind of inflection point in their life, I don't know what is. It's certainly the place where we see um, roadmap. And I, I think the, the important part of um, the book is that you know, as we step out, like this idea of let go, define, become, the whole last quarter of the book is different projects where the individual can kind of take who they are and dive into an actual product uh, project that will propel them forward. We interviewed this um, amazing woman who uh, talked about Basically, the world is so dynamic and the barriers to entry to so many things is, are so low that um, we really just need to be doing. It was Veronica Belmont, uh, who's a technology host, and she just said, like, no matter what you are interested in, you have to be doing. And I think the majority of the resources that are out there today talk about practice. You know, this idea of, like, practice makes mm-hmm. perfect. I think we really turn that on its head, and I think all of kind of where where we are going as a society is a much greater comfort in failure because we should be just doing as opposed to practicing. If we would have practiced for our road trip, we would have taken RV driving courses, we would have been uh, professional interviewers, we would have taken all these different classes that I think would have created a version of what we thought was an interviewer or a version of what we thought was a traveler, but neither of those would have been who we are. And so we really had to kind of just drop the idea of practicing and really get to this idea of doing. And that's a really fundamental piece uh, that I think distinguishes Roadmap. And in many ways, it mirrors the technological world we live in, where things get released in beta all the time. And if you wait till something's perfect, you've probably waited too long and missed your opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a chapter in the book. It's this idea of living in beta. Um, and the one of the great interviews that we had was this individual named Randy Comazar, who was an author. He was a lawyer at Apple. He uh, ran Tiva for a while, and now he's a venture capitalist. But he had this beautiful line which said, life is only linear in the rearview mirror. And I think if you look at that and you look at all the, you know, there's roughly 300 interviews in the book, a thousand more interviews that, that we've conducted um, in between. It really is true that this, that our lives are lived in beta. And that's why kind of when we look at the book, this, the process and the structure is let go, define, become, but you're only becoming that next version of yourself until, again, you find yourself going, geez, like, what am I doing? Like, I need to start again. And then that's when you dip into let go, define, become again. It's not this idea that you pick up this book, you read it once, and then you're done. It, it, this is one that we hope will just get dog-eared, thrown against the wall, you know, put down, picked up, put down, and picked up, because that's very consistent with how people are living their lives today. You know, we have six, seven careers instead of one career like we did a few generations ago. Nathan Gebhardt. The book is Roadmap, the get-it-together guide for figuring out what to do with your life. Nathan, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Hey, Jeff, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.